Hello, and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm Mitch Friedman, and in my experience as a husband, a father, a church planter, a pastor, and a university professor, I've discovered that everyday ideas on human flourishing have significant consequences. Our goal here at the Pinocchio Project is to examine these everyday ideas to see if they actually deliver on their promises. Hello and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is Mitch Friedman and Jeff Olson speaking to you from beautiful Lago Vista, Texas. It really is beautiful. I say that every time. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't come to visit, please let us know. We'll be glad to show you around. Uh, Today we're continuing our conversation about abortion and human flourishing. And I left you with two questions uh, last time uh, based on our conversation uh, that was rooted mainly in a study done in 1994 and still relevant, all you academics, uh, regarding how women psychologically uh, deal with and decide on what to do with an unplanned pregnancy. And what we discovered was that it wasn't good a good versus evil conversation. It was the choice of the least of three evils. And those three evils uh, are motherhood, adoption, or abortion. And so the first question that I asked was, what ideas about human flourishing influence image bearers to view motherhood or carrying to term in pursuing adoption as evils that are more evil than killing a human being? One of the propositions in the study was uh, these women who were uh, pregnant in a way that was unplanned, they did not deny the personhood of who was in the womb. It wasn't a what, it's a who. But they did largely consider and decide that abortion was the least of the three evils when compared to motherhood and adoption. And so what ideas about human flourishing shape those decisions? And secondly, what objects of worship are central to such a view? Because as we discussed uh, last week, and I'll refresh right now, all of us, all image bearers, are craving worship. We must worship. We put our devotion, we put our energy, we put our thought life, we put our resources towards what we value the most highly. And that is indeed worship. That's one of the characteristics of being made in the image of God. And what we talked about last week uh, was there... Uh, two categories of worship from a biblical perspective. Uh, The first is misplaced worship, which has self as the primary object, self-promotion, self-protection, self-indulgence, and self as dominant and with a dominant agenda. And then there's biblical worship, where God is the only object, and that requires of us self-submission, self-sacrifice, self-restraint, and seeing self as a servant and not someone to be served. And so before we move into our conversation, I'm going to review in just a second a brief history, not necessarily with uh, days of the month and years, but in general reference, uh, that'll be true. But this is a conversation of how ideas over time move from unthinkable to unquestionable. Uh, But before I go there, I want to talk about how proper worship, biblical worship, where God is the only object and I'm required to submit, sacrifice, restrain myself, and serve, plays itself out 
in our understanding of biblical sexuality. So under the category of design and purpose, this is how biblical worship informs biblical sexuality. Uh, If you recall how we constructed our biblical worldview, this is a primary indicator of whether or not a person, a couple, a family, and a culture will actually flourish or degrade. So biblical worship informs biblical sexuality. And we see here male and female as the sexual distinctives. That is design. And then we see purpose in that design expressed in marriage, a man and a woman becoming one flesh committed inseparably for a lifetime. And we see in that union fruitfulness, that is childbearing, filling the earth with generations of culture-making image bearers. And the outcomes of biblical sexuality, male and female, expressing themselves in marriage and bearing image bearers over generations, the outcomes are secure families, flourishing image bearers, and thriving cultures and economies. That is an understanding of biblical sexuality that's formed and rooted in and committed to proper biblical worship. Now, on the other hand, misplaced worship with self as primary object and self-promotion, protection, indulgence, and dominance as its goals. When it comes to sexuality, there is a God that can only be called the sex God. And the sex God has taken root over the last 60 to 70 years in Western culture uh, to the point where we are now uh, reaping the benefits or consequences of that fruit. See, the sex God promises life. The sex God promises fulfillment. The sex God promises self-actualization. The sex God promises flourishing. The sex God promises pleasure. But can the sex God deliver? What I'd like to do for the remaining few minutes here is walk through uh, the siren call of the sex god. If you remember uh, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, the story from mythology, Jason and his men had to sail past this island on their way to pursuing the ultimate treasure of the Golden Fleece. And the island of the sirens was a place where these, these creatures just sang this beautiful song of temptation and allure, and the sailors could not help themselves. But when you get closer to the island, you near the rocks, you see the destruction of the ships on those rocky shores and their consumption by the sirens. So the, the, the sirens had an irresistible call that had to be fought against. So Jason had his own ways of protecting his crew. Uh, but the sex god of our age has the siren call that's just as powerful And uh, unfortunately for the culture, many, many continue to accommodate her demanding desires and bow a knee in worship. What's even more unfortunate, church, is that many of us who claim proper worship of the one true God are also co-opting our worship for the benefit of the siren call of the same sex God. And so I want to reach back to sort of a history of the sex gods, a rulership of Western culture. And I want to look first at the the dismantling of, of biblical sexuality and purpose and design in marriage and family. Uh, when we see the introduction of contraception uh, in the form of the pill, 
Uh, what we have is the first move uh, of the sex gods dismantling uh, what we would call a healthy generational family childbearing model of flourishing culture. I see contraception and then abortion uh, I promise the pleasure of sex without the burden of childbearing. Uh, as a result, uh, I'm going to hold this for uh, expansion later, live births decrease. So contraception and abortion separate sex from childbearing, promising ultimate pleasure. Then when sex is separated from childbearing, that provides also freedom from the burden of marriage. A lot of marriages before the freedom of contraception and abortion uh, when pregnancy happened, marriage was a result, and men were held responsible for their actions. But sex separated from childbearing provides freedom from the burden of marriage. And see, when marriage is being, being more and more cast as a problem and, and a burden in a culture, you have a continued erosion of a biblical framework for human flourishing. Contraception and abortion promise pleasure without the burden of childbearing. Sex separated from childbearing also offers freedom from the burden of marriage. A marriage without childbearing promises freedom for redefining marriage and actualizing the self. And expressing the sexual self now is the basis for human flourishing. If you doubt that, if these are strange concepts to you, then you must, uh, pardon my crudity, you must be asleep under a rock somewhere if you're in the Western culture. Make no mistake, expressing the sexual self, and I decide on the sexual self, is the basis for human flourishing. Sexual expression is the highest value on the street where you live, in the schools for your kids, in the screens where they peer, shaping what they hold dear in the ivory tower and in the halls of power. Expressing the sexual self is the basis. This is the idea. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Expressing the sexual self is the basis for human flourishing. I just said a lot. I'm going to pause for a second, let you continue to consider. So we've separated sex from childbearing We've separated childbearing from marriage. We've separated marriage from a construct of one man, one woman forever and opened it for redefinition for the purpose of actualizing self. So marriage is not something where I choose to serve you, but I demand to be served. And the highest value of my being served is the freedom to express my sexual self. The idea that promises flourishing is that I am free to express the sexual self. Now, I'm going to say that's a bad idea. And I don't have to go too far to prove it. I just look at reality. I look at blended families. I look at children being born without a father. I look at the demand to express myself regardless of my biology in any way. I, I demand the opportunity to get married to one, two, or more people. And we see the consequences of children who are free-floating without an anchor, kids who need security and stability, lost in despair and desperation. So let me use that same model and talk about the consequences of worshiping the sexual self. 
Uh, as to relational and parental responsibility, sex separated from childbearing lets men off the hook. And we have taken full advantage, haven't we, men? Unfortunately, uh, this is sort of a, a freefall uh, land rush for us uh, when we can be promised pleasure without responsibility. And so in this sex separated from childbearing, children and women suffer. Another consequence of worshiping the sexual self as to marital commitment, I'll honor my marriage commitment as long as I'm happy, I'm fulfilled, I'm actualized, you bring me pleasure. But if not, I'm out. And here, children, women, and men suffer. Now, consequences of worshiping the sexual self, worshiping the sex god, as to marital redefinition, love, quote, that's in air quotes, without reference to male, female purpose or design or responsibility is the only prerequisite. And as long as I feel, another in quotes, as long as I feel the quotes love, I can choose whether or not to stay in it or redesign it without reference to biology, without reference to purpose or design for childbearing, forming or filling the earth. This quote-unquote love is the only prerequisite. And then finally, as to self-actualization and the reduction in childbearing, the consequence of worshiping the sex god is, should be obvious. When you reduce the population you violate the cultural command to form and fill the earth and to create culture and economies. The result is a slow erosion of culture due to the elimination of culture-making image bearers. The slow erosion of cultures due to the elimination of culture-making image bearers. You know, in most uh, sophisticated, that's a word in quotes, uh, intelligent, that's a word in quotes, enlightened, that's a word in quotes, in most sophisticated, intelligent cultures, the rate of childbearing has fallen below replacement levels. It's actually right at or below replacement levels in the United States. In the most practical terms, that means our workforce is shrinking. In practical terms, that means our culture is shrinking. That means image bearers who could be available for innovation and productivity are not available, ensuring the slow erosion of our culture. So thinking ourselves wise in worshiping the sex god, we become practical fools. So I'm not too sure how much more I want to say on this topic. I may... I may think about it and pray about it some more, and we'll have another conversation. But this has been a brief history of bad ideas regarding the pill and contraception and abortion. Remember, church, that our responsibility is to worship God and God only, and to submit ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves, to restrain ourselves, and to show ourselves servants and not those demanding to be served. Never more important a time uh, for those characteristics to be shown through the church, particularly when it comes to the battle of ideas versus the sex god. The worship of the sex god is slowly eroding our culture and harming children, women, and men. For the Pinocchio Project, Mitch Friedman, Jeff Olson, signing off until next time. 
Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.